I would like to uh, direct your attention today to the first chapter of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, and we're primarily going to be looking at Acts 1-8 on the subject of what the church should be. We should be witnesses for Christ. This is a very important message because it states clearly and simply what every local church of Jesus Christ should be. What should be the emphasis? What should be the focus of every church? And I want to point out some truths to you about this in Acts 1.8. But I'd like to read, if I could, to capture this verse in the context, we're going to be focusing on verse 8, but notice the context uh, in which these words were said, beginning in verse 6. So when they had come together, they were asking him. The Lord Jesus had resurrected. He was around about 40 more days, according to verse 3. And... Uh, Right before he left, uh, the disciples came together and they were asking him, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, listen to this, It is not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father is fixed by his own authority. But, and here's our verse, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And that happened on the day of Pentecost. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the remotest part of the earth. And after he said these things, he was lifted up. So these are the last words he spoke on planet earth. After he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. In 1949, a man named John Currier, who could not read or write, was found guilty of murder and sentenced to life in the Tennessee State Prison. And the reason John was there, the reason these events had occurred, there was a tremendous problem, as other parts of the South, of intense racial hatred. John Currier was a black man. Intense racial hatred. And he was pronounced guilty of murder, even though he was trying to defend his life and sentenced to life in the Tennessee State Prison. Later on, he was transferred from the prison to work for a wealthy farmer near Nashville. He worked seven days a week from sunup to sunset. He was paid $5 a week for his personal needs. He slept in a drafty trailer even in the coldest of winters. He took a bath in a horse trough with a garden hose. 
1968, 19 years later, the Department of Corrections wrote a letter to the farmer that John Currier was a free man. The governor of Tennessee had terminated his sentence. But John never saw that letter. And later on, the farmer died. It wasn't until 1978 that a parole officer saw the mistake and corrected it. For 10 years, John Currier had been a free man, and nobody had bothered to tell him. But my friend, there is a greater tragedy in the world today than that of stories like John Courier. And that tragedy is that there are millions, millions of people living under the bondage of sin. And no Christian has ever bothered to tell them they can be free. Millions. And no Christian has ever bothered to tell them they can be free. There are many Christians today, there are many local churches who have forgotten Christ's commission in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, where he says, All authority has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything, everything, that I told you, and lo, I'll be with you even to the end of the age. Many Christians and local churches have forgotten our mandate to make disciples for Jesus Christ. Luke tells us in Acts 1.8 that the church has been given both the power and a plan to be effective witnesses for Christ. There are three important facts from this verse that I want to share with you today. And I want to encourage you, please take out your sermon outlines. Please make some notes. This is a very important message to us from our Lord. Three important facts in this verse that we need to understand and apply. The first one is this, and this is so important. The church, the church has a primary objective. The church has a primary objective. We and every other local church have a primary objective to be his witnesses, to be witnesses. That's our objective. Look at verse 8. Notice that verse 8 begins with a contrast. But. When you see that, he's contrasting something to he's previously said. And it refers back to verses 6 and 7. The disciples asked Jesus if he was going to restore the kingdom of Israel at this time. And notice what Jesus told them. Jesus told them, the Father alone sets the dates and times. By the way, all these people throughout history, and we're still having it happen today, uh, these leaders of certain religious groups are setting dates, setting times when the Lord Jesus is going to come back. Uh, one of the la latest one was in, remember in 2011, uh, the head of 
Family Radio here in California said that May 27th, I believe, 2011, was the day the Lord Jesus was going to come back. Well, he didn't come back. And then they revised. Oh, I got some things mixed up. They revised it five months later. He didn't come back five months later. My friend, listen. Every time which the Scripture, both here and other places, prohibits, every time religious leaders do this, they're undermining the gospel. They're undermining the truth of God's Word. People see these ridiculous things that it doesn't happen, and they cast doubt upon God's Word. So Jesus told them that the Father alone knows the days and times. Don't be concerned about this. Don't be concerned about these things. Instead, but your primary concern now, your primary function now is to be my witnesses. The church has a primary objective. There is no other objective higher than this, and that is to be his witnesses. So I want to ask three questions so we'll understand this completely. Three questions. First of all, who is to witness for Christ? Who is this for? Who is to witness for Christ? Well, notice verse 8 again. It says, but you, but you. Now, you can't tell it in the English, but in the Greek language, you can tell you is plural in number. Uh, some of you who are used to the old authorized version, uh, remember they would use two words. Ye are thou. Ye is plural. Thou is singular. So the you here is plural in number. This means, this means that all Christians are to be as witnesses. All Christians are to be as witnesses. If you're a follower of Christ, you're to be his witness. This is not a task for the clergy are a few. It's not a task just for the staff of the church. This is a task for all Christians. You say, well, that's all good, but, you know, I'm, I'm just not the flaming evangelist type. My friend, listen, you don't have to be. What kind of witness that God wants you to be? He wants you to be yourself. Have you noticed in the scriptures, especially you see this in the book of Acts and in the Gospels, not all the Christians in the first century witnessed the same way. They didn't all take the same approach. Peter was an in-your-face type of guy, and, somebody, and some people need it. Paul took more of an intellectual approach. The scripture said... Paul reasoned with people from the scriptures. He was an intellectual giant, and he reasoned people from the scriptures. Andrew went around making friends and bringing them to Christ. Dorcas made things to show her love for people, to open up the door, to share the gospel with them. You don't have to be like somebody else. Just be yourself and find somebody like you and share the good news with them. Find somebody that is easy for you to relate to. 
So all Christians, all Christians are to be his witnesses. If you claim to be a follower of Christ, you are to be his witness. You are to be telling others what you've experienced. Second question, who is to witness? All Christians. What is witnessing? What is witnessing? Well, Acts 4.20, Acts 4.20 says that, tells us, when the apostles said, we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. That's what it means to be a witness. Tell others what you've seen and heard. Uh, I learned this when I was in the Coast Guard. I, uh, I was stationed on a ship in Galveston, Texas. Uh, I was, uh, by trade, a hospital corpsman, but I would have to, uh, like others on the ship, stand watch whether we were in port or, or out at sea. And when we were in port, you would you stand watch on the main deck you would check people in and out, answer phone calls, and things like that. Well, one time when I was, uh, one time when I was uh, standing watch, we were in port and and uh, checking people out. We had a guy that I checked out that went on leave. The problem is he didn't come back after his leave. He was AWOL, and so he was court-martialed. And so I was called up, since I was the guy that checked him out that day, I was called up to be a witness. And I, I remember as we started, uh, the lawyer started questioning me, uh, I wanted to give my opinion of what happened. And he kept saying to me, I don't want your opinion. I just want you to tell me what you saw and what you heard. That's what a witness is. We cannot stop speaking what we've seen and heard. Now, obviously, we have not personally seen and heard Jesus like Peter and John did and the other apostles. So being a witness today for us is telling others what we've experienced, what Christ has done in our lives. Being a witness is to be a witness of God's word, of God's gospel. So who is to be witnesses? All of us. What is witnessing? Telling others what we've experienced and the truth of the gospel. But here's the third question. How do you witness? How do you witness? Two ways. First of all, you witness, we witness by our lives. We witness by our lives. Matthew 5.16, Jesus said, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may See your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. We witness by our life. Our life is what gives credibility to our witness. And this is the problem with a lot of Christians. See, the reason the early church was so effective in personal evangelism is because when they went to another person and said, if you will put your truth in, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he will save you from your sin and he will change your life. The reason people believed that was they saw their lives changed. 
And the reason people are not believing a lot of believers today is they don't see a whole lot of difference between their life and the and this believer's life. I like the little poem which says, you are writing a gospel, a chapter each day, by the deeds that you do, by the words that you say. Men read what you write, whether faithless or true. Say, what is the gospel according to you? So we witness by our lives. That's what gives credibility to our witness. But also, my friends, we witness by our words. I've had many Christians say to me, well, you know, I don't ever say much about Jesus, but I try to live my life. Well, that's good. That's wonderful. But there comes a point, my friend, you've got to open your mouth and tell people about the gospel. That's not enough. You've got to witness by your words. Psalm 107.2 says, Let the redeemed of the Lord, what? Say so. If you're redeemed, say so. Tell others about it. If you're saved, say so. Give your testimony. Be a witness for the gospel. There's got to be a time once you've gained credibility with this person. There's got to be a time where you open the word of God and you tell them what it says, what it means. One of my favorite books on evangelism is Wayne McDill, Making Friends for Christ. It was published many years ago. But Wayne McDill in this book makes a very important statement. Listen to what he says. The bewildering lack of effectiveness in evangelism has driven many churches to involve themselves in other efforts. For the most part, it is the maintenance of the present congregation. Energy and attention is given to keeping the organizational machinery running, ministering to the existing congregation planning and conducting the meetings of the church. There are committees to man, budgets to administer, large buildings to repair and maintain. All this fine work, all this fine work gives us a sense of satisfaction that one is involved in the essential and God-honoring business. Now, Wayne McGill is not saying, don't misunderstand. He's not saying these things are not necessary. He's not saying that they are not important. He is saying you cannot substitute these things for our primary objective. And that's what a lot of churches are doing. You cannot substitute just keeping the church running for the primary objective. And so that's the first truth. The church has a primary objective. We have a primary objective. And that is to be witnesses in this community and wherever God gives us opportunity to be witnesses of our Lord Jesus Christ. But second truth I want you to see is this. The church has an enabling power. The church has an enabling power, the Holy Spirit. The church has an enabling power, the Holy Spirit. He says, but you will 
receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. What he's saying to them is, don't go out and be my witnesses until you receive this power. And that happened first time on the day of Pentecost. Because he knows, he knows we have human weaknesses and limitations. He knows that. And that is why he sent the Holy Spirit to indwell our bodies and to help us when we have a need. I want you to hold your place here and turn your Bibles to John 14. And this is a promise Jesus gave us before he left this earth. Before he went to the cross. John 14. Mary, the disciples, they were, he told them he was going to have to go away, and they were very upset about this. That's why, familiar Pat, John 14, 1, he said, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Don't worry about this. And you can understand why the disciples would be upset when he's telling them going away for three and a half years. Every time they had a question, he was there to answer. Every time a need, he was there to meet it. Every time they needed direction, he was there to give it to them. And now he's telling me you're going to go away. And he said, don't worry about me going away. Trust in me as you have trusted in, in God. But in John 14, verses 16 and 17, he gives this promise. I will ask the Father, and he will give you, and here's the two key words, another helper or another comforter that he may be with you forever. And he identifies that comforter in verse 17, the spirit of truth. So he says, I'm going to ask, don't worry about me going away, because I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to give you another helper. Now, those two words, look at those two words. Another, in the Greek language, there are two words that are translated in the English language, another. One means another of the same kind. The other one means another different kind. The one used here means another of the same kind. And then helper is the word paraclete, which means one called alongside uh, side you to render assistance. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, don't worry about me going away. I'm going to ask the Father. He's going to give you another person. One is exactly like me, and he will be available to you to render assistance anytime you have a need. And he is the Spirit of truth. So he's talking about the Holy Spirit, who is exactly like me, is going to be given to you. Anytime you have a need, he will be there to help you. He's the Spirit of truth. And he says the world cannot receive him and because it does not see him or know him, but you know him. And listen to this. He abides with you. He was with the people in the Old Testament. He abides with you, but he, uh, future tense will be in you. On the day of Pentecost, he came to permanently indwell believers. He was with them before, but he came to permanently indwell them. So he says, listen, 
Don't go out and witness without having the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will help you with your weaknesses. The Holy Spirit will help you with your limitations. Listen, several things happen when we depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. When we depend on the power of the Holy Spirit, we will take advantage of the opportunities God gives us to witness. And there are many opportunities. When we are dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit, we will be genuinely concerned about the loss. When we are dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit, we will not use shoddy techniques in evangelism to just get numbers. When we depend upon the Holy Spirit of God, the Lord will keep adding to our number day by day, week by week, month by month. That's what he did in the early church. That's what he did in the first century church. Acts 1 tells us that when Jesus left, there were 120 people in Jerusalem in the church. Acts 2.41, after Peter's great sermon on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2.31 said 3,000 were added to the church. In one day, the church went from 120 to 3,120. Acts 4.4 said their number increased to 5,000, and that's just including the men. So if you include women and children, you're probably looking at 10 to 15,000. Acts 5.14 said there were multitudes, multitudes, we read a little ago, that came to Christ. Acts 11.21, the number got to be so great, they stopped counting. They just said great numbers came to Christ. When you depend upon the Holy Spirit, the Lord, when we depend upon the Holy Spirit, the Lord will add to our number. The Lord will use us. Give us opportunities. And as we depend on the Holy Spirit, we don't have to use shoddy technique. We can share the truth of God, and God will add people continually to this church. So the church has a primary objective, and that is to be His witnesses. All of us are to be its witnesses. The church has an enabling power. The Holy Spirit of God will help us be successful. And the third thing I want you to see from this verse, the church has an organized plan. God not only gave us the Holy Spirit to help us be successful, He gave us a plan. And notice he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem. Secondly, in all Judea and Samaria. And thirdly, the remotest part of the earth. What you have here is the divine outline of the book of Acts. He says, start being witnesses in Jerusalem. That's Acts 1 through 7. Start being and then move out, be witnesses in Judea and Samaria. That's Acts 8 through 12. And then the remotest part of the earth, that's Acts 13 through 28. Paul and Barnabas' missionary journeys. But what he also gives us here is a plan. 
He gives us a plan. He says, start in Jerusalem. That's local mission. Start where you live. Judea and Samaria, that's home missions. California is our home missions. Remotest part of the earth, that's foreign missions. Now, let me point out something. This is very, very important. Uh, the problem is, in, in many churches, is we think missions just something you do overseas. My friend, everything we do is missions. Whether it's talking about Atwater, Merced area, or California, or any other state, or overseas, everything we do is missions. I, I used to see this every year, and we'd have the the uh, the uh, budget talks, and people were saying, "Oh, we need to give more money to missions." And they were talking about foreign mission. We need to get more money. Well, what about what we're doing here? We're, what we're doing here is missions. What we do in our state is missions. As well as what we do overseas. See, God is saying, start where you live, then spread out. Establish your mission base where you live, and then spread out. One of the problems I see, I, I saw this uh, when I started college. We had students that would raise hundreds of dollars to go on these mission trips every year. And yet, right across this hall was this guy or gal that they knew was lost as be. They never, they never went across the hallway from their room to there to share the gospel with them. Yet, they were going on these mission trips. My friend, if we're not being a witness where we live, we don't have a right to go out anyplace else. we got to start where we live. This is what the church should be. Our primary objective is to be His witness every day, every week, every month. And we don't have to go alone because he gave us the Holy Spirit to help us. And he has a plan that he wants us to follow. I want to give you three lessons in closing this morning. Three lessons for us as a church, for other churches, that we learn from this passage. First lesson is this. And this is foundational. A church, a church is the people of Christ, not buildings, or simply an organizational machine. A church is the people of Christ. It's not buildings. It's not simply an organization. Any church, listen to this, any church will become what the leadership and the people are. We are the church. We have buildings and we have other things to help us in our task. But we're the church. For a couple of years now, I've been uh, going through a harmony of the Gospels and the life of Christ and going in depth of his three years 
years. And one thing that has jumped out of me in this study was, you look at the ministry of Christ and the time he spent upon this earth, there were two things he was focused on. People and the word of God. Because, my friend, those are the only two eternal things. People and the word of God. That should be our focus. Yes, buildings need to be maintained and other things need to be done. But our primary focus should be on the needs of people and the word of God, getting the word of God out. So that's the first lesson. Second lesson is this. We should never, we should never do anything or spend any resources on anything that does not help us fulfill our primary objective. We should never do anything or spend any resources on anything that does not help us fulfill our primary objective. Once again, what's the use of building? To help us fill our primary objective and to worship the true and living God and learn more about Him. If it doesn't help us do that, then we shouldn't even do it. We should never do anything or spend any resource on anything that doesn't help us fulfill our primary objective. And then the third lesson is this. We should use, and boy, a lot of churches don't understand this. We should use every available means to get the word of God to this community and to see people added to the church. Every available means. We ought to use radio, internet, Printed resources, social events. You say, what do you mean social events? I mean, every time we have a social event, we shouldn't just have a social event to keep ourselves happy. We should have a social event to invite our friends who need Jesus Christ. Social events, music, hospitality, service groups, home Bible studies. We should use every available means to carry the gospel to our generation. My friend, it all starts, though, with you and me. Are we his witnesses? Are we faithful like the apostles? Do we depend upon the Holy Spirit? Are we following his plan? Are, you being, are we being a witness right where we live here? There are people all around this church, my friend, that need Jesus. They need Jesus. There are people you work with, live next door to, are involved in community activities with. They need Jesus. And God has placed us here as a church, along with other churches, to do that. Just don't forget it. Let's learn the lesson today and go forth. Would you bow your heads for prayer?